Welcome to Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Thanks for tuning in once again to the state-focused premier policy podcast. But today, I'm sitting down with John Russell, who's the director of the American City County Exchange a Division of Alec. He's also a Culpeper Town Councilman in Virginia. John Russell, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And what's really special about the discussion today is we're going to be talking about local responses to COVID-19. John, your organization, ACE, has a great network of local decision makers, two of which are joining us today. Let me introduce them for our listeners. First is Billy Hughes, who's a mayor of Gulfport, Mississippi. Mayor uh, Hughes, thanks for calling in. I'm glad to be with you, Dan. Of course. Thank you. And we also have Benny Zhang, who's a city councilman from Williamsburg, uh, Virginia. Councilman, thank you for calling in. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. So to kick things off a little bit, what are you two seeing on the ground? There's so much talk. I mean, we're hearing it from the federal government and from the states about how this is locally executed, state managed, and federally supported. So give our listeners a little bit of an understanding about what it looks like on the ground. Dan, this is Billy. Um, I will tell you, it's um, a bit of a twilight zone situation. The uncertainty of this disease uh, and the, the pace at which it's starting to spread is, is uh, alarming. But I think uh, just having the unknown in our region, we're used to uh, you know preparing for uh, issues like natural disasters. And while there may be some similarities, there's just uh, there's there's not any sort of platform beyond that because it continues to extend. So most people are observing or complying with recommendations that we're making. Uh, in this city, we've closed all city properties because we were finding people were gathering in groups much larger than 10, trying to dissuade that, uh, to discourage that. Uh, so all city buildings are closed to the public, but we're still operating, uh, observing those distances. And so, you know, city services are still crucial. People still need those. And so we're making making plans without going to a triage uh, or shelter-in-place methodology yet. And then on restaurants, again, where there are gatherings, people are, have adapted to a carry-out-or-to-go model, which is good. The one place where people continue to congregate after is a lot of the retail stores, particularly grocery stores. So we've really had to reinforce that message to make sure if you're going to be open and providing goods and services to people that you try to instill on folks how critical it is to keep these distances, observe those, and don't get out if you don't have to. Uh, But complacency is starting to get in to a degree where people are saying, well, if it's not affecting me personally, it must not be real. And this is a very, very serious situation that um, we need to make sure that it's front of mind to people. Benny, what are are you seeing in Virginia? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, First, I think I echo with what the mayor has said, we've taken very similar steps, and I'm sure you probably see this with localities across the U.S. in some shape or form. But I wanted to say first that I'm so extremely proud of my community because what we've seen, Williamsburg is a very small community, and what we've seen are folks from the private sector, nonprofit, and even from the public sectors coming together uh, as a community to try to find ways to serve others and our neighbors. Um, and I think that's that's been really special. But two observations uh, in terms of potential pitfalls. One is rumor control. Uh, we in the city have established a 24-7 hotline. Um, right in the beginning as COVID-19 started hitting Virginia generally, uh, there just had a lot of rumors. And I think 
you know, one, one could observe that social media is great because there's so much information coming out. But at the same time, it's also potentially really harmful because so many information is coming out. So we wanted to make sure as a city that the right information was getting out there. Uh, the second observation, since we're one of the more conservative Dillon rural states, John can attest to this, and maybe he's grinning over at the other line. But given that we're a Dillon rural state, uh, we are forced to be very collective by nature. And something that we've seen with our state counterparts is that the Virginia Code is really ill-equipped to handle long-term pandemics like COVID-19. So I, I imagine that uh, local and state partners are going to try to find ways to modernize the code and try to codify some of the gray area emergency powers moving forward. John, I think it's a great moment for you to jump in um, briefly. Can you, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Dillon rule versus home rule. Can you just briefly explain that for our listeners before we move on? Yeah, basically every state either has a, a legal uh, setup where the state has a Dillon rule, which is basically the localities cannot really do much of anything unless the state uh, legislature has granted them powers to do so. Uh, other states have a home rule, which is, I guess, a lot more uh, leniency to local governments to make decisions on issues such as, you know, sheltering in place or other restrictions that need to happen in events like this. And then uh, other states also have a hybrid of the two, just depending on the type of jurisdiction you serve in. So uh, it's every state is different to how that works. Virginia is the gold standard for Dillon rule. So uh, a lot of our laws, uh, I think as Benny pointed out perfectly, need to be revisited and modernized uh, to allow for um, remote meetings uh, in emergency situations without um, having to, as we did in our council, we actually pulled up in a parking lot all in our cars and uh, had a meeting uh, in order to uh, pass an emergency declaration so that we could meet remotely. Uh, that kind of thing needs to be streamlined so that we don't uh, we don't have to uh, uh, go through that kind of a circus. So, yeah, so that's some of the things that are playing in the states around the country. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. Um, one thing that I think would be great to hear from all three of you is, you know, what is the private sector doing to help businesses and nonprofits stay afloat? I mean, with so much market volatility and just frankly, the the simple truth that people are staying indoors, which means they're not going out and living lives. They're not going out and, you know, getting dinner and things like that. They're not going to see movies. Um, you know, how is the private sector responding to that on the local level? Sure thing. In terms of our private businesses, for the businesses that are shuttered, owners have taken on a strong role in trying to provide, whether it's food to the vulnerable populations or try to find some way to make shift their businesses. And there's going to be a pending question about how, again, how fast the state code can respond to, to these uncertain, unprecedented times. For example, there's one business that's a bounce house in, in the city uh, obviously, they closed down and shut her down. And the guy who owns it uh, is the son of a very prominent pastor, really great guy. And he wants to convert it into a daycare uh, for essential workers, which is an amazing thing to do and an amazing task to want to accomplish. But that requires certain licensing uh, requirements from the state. So the local state senator and myself are trying to find ways to kind of streamline that process for him get the regulations out of the way and let them do the good deed in our community. But for our second largest employer in the city, Colonial Williamsburg, uh, they had to unfortunately shutter a lot of their hotels. 
but they've actually converted those hotels uh, into spaces and beds for folks who, you know, are either homeless or they're students who have been displaced as a result of the College of William & Mary uh, going online and kicking out all the students by, as of a few days ago, uh, providing that bed and shelter for folks who are trying to, on a temporary basis, find a more permanent uh, housing situation. So there are many multiple ways that a private sector is coming in, and they don't have to do it. This is everything that they wanted to come up. They've been calling the city government saying, what can we do to help? Uh, some restaurants have dropped off foods for our firefighters and police officers and for many others, hospital workers. It, it's really heartening to see all this come together. Yeah, I can echo a lot of that. Uh, down down here in the coastal communities, you know, a lot of times we have these storms come along. We've got a kind of a, a known saying that we, we see the worst of Mother Nature, but the best of humanity. And at these times of challenge and crisis, you know, Americans are very resilient and they find ways to pull together. And it's difficult now. And, you know, we, we have to, you know, we, we have to distance socially, but that doesn't mean we have to be unsociable. So people are looking for opportunities or ways, whether it's, you know, creating these masks for people or um, you think is that about our hoteliers, a lot of hotels, we're a tourist economy down here. And many of their, uh, you know, they're below at or below 10% occupancy. And some of them you just can't make it. So a lot of them have, either offered to provide housing to uh, a lot of the hospital workers who can't go home, particularly if they've got an infected family member or if they're concerned about infecting their family members, they have another place where they can go. Uh, other hotels have offered, if there are overflow capacity issues with our, with our hospitals, that they have offered up their entire buildings for either triage or additional uh, uh, staging of patients. But you, know, you mentioned the rumor control. I really think at this point, the greater pandemic might be the uh, virus of bad information on the web, on the social media. People are taking hmm. a lot of uh, really wild speculation out there. Now, there's some, there's some good medical information, but you got to sit through it all. So we're telling people, say, look, go to Johns Hopkins, go to CDC, go to these uh, areas, go to your state department of health and get your information from that. The uh, Governor Reeves, uh, last couple of days, has done a uh, declaration as far as um, how he wants this, uh, our state to move forward with respect to dealing with this. And there's a lot of folks who want to pit the business interest against the health interest, and those are not mutually exclusive. They're really relying upon one another. And so while we want to uh, have an environment where folks can uh, stay open, it's just not possible in some respects because of the spread uh, and rapidity of this disease, and public health is going to be paramount. So as goes one, the other follows and vice versa. And so we're we're making we're making life life and death decisions in many cases here. Our proximity to New Orleans being one of the uh, hot spots in the nation, uh, we're an hour away, and so we're within a radius where we have some concerns. Our numbers are actually trending pretty well right now with respect to the ratio of increased testing to the actual number of positives that are occurring. But um, you're going to see a lot of that across the country. So everybody's watching it. I still believe that things will probably, from a health standpoint, get worse before they get better. But we're all looking for that light at the end of the tunnel and just trying to be prudent and make good decisions on it. Uh, the other thing from locals, we're trying to say, look, shop local. Even if you can't get out of your house and if you don't have to, you don't need to. But if you can't get out and you have to shop. Go out of your way to, to find a way to shop local, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, groceries where they can bring it to you or you can get them brought out to your vehicle or if it's actually uh, commodities to try to make sure you go out of your way to reach out to those who are, are doing business digitally. And uh, from a city standpoint, we're it, if we have any procedures or processes like uh, applications or permitting that 
haven't been totally digitized, we're moving to that so people don't have to come to our buildings for that purpose. Well, you just listed there's you know a lot of awesome steps that you guys are seeing um, that are helping to enable social distancing, which um, all the experts are saying is is extremely important right now to help flatten the curve, help slow down um, the spread so that our hospitals don't get overwhelmed. Um, are there any other steps you guys are seeing that maybe just the public in your communities are taking or maybe the government itself that's taking to help enable social distancing? We have gone as far as uh, suggesting um, signage with messaging uh, or outside of businesses that they can take and either reproduce uh, off of the digital information we put on uh, social media and distribute it directly to our uh, businesses. Uh, we've also created some of those. Uh, they've gone from everything to COVID things, if, you know, if you, and you can find it online and anybody can use them, uh, you know, from, from your social distancing. Look, if you're, if you're sick, don't get out. Don't come in this door, that sort of thing, to make sure you're observing six feet. So the responsibility is on the businesses to manage crowds, but it's more on the responsibility is on us as individual citizens to make sure that we're, re- we're recognizing those distances. We also push forward and put out placards on a good to go. And go for it's good to go. Anybody can be good to go. And that's just to say, look, our restaurants are struggling and they're trying to survive. And although we can't go in and sit down and dine in the facilities, there's still ways we can help them out and still, uh, you know, uh, not get in a panic about the availability of food. Uh, so it's really a twofold win for those who need to have something to eat, a good cooked meal, and, and those who have a need to provide and continue to work. And the mayor strikes a really good point. Because Williamsburg is also a tourist economy, and um, you know I, I can't speak for um, your community, uh, Mr. Mayor, but for us, lodging and restaurants are a huge component of our local economy, and that's something that makes me nervous. But uh, to your point about eating local, it's a good point because I think there are a lot of expectations based on mainstream media that uh, this tremendous package passed in D.C., will be kind of that lifeline for the small businesses. And it will to a certain extent, but I, I read a really good article that for a lot of these businesses, it's going to have to be consistent cash flow. So by shopping local, you're really maintaining that consistent cash flow rather than waiting for the SBA disaster loan or that emergency uh, line of credit from your community bank. Um, it's a really important message to push out there. To your question, Dan, uh, most of us, in Virginia have to abide by what the Virginia governor has instituted. And what he did is mandate uh, no more than 10 in certain quote-unquote essential businesses. So for us, in terms of our police enforcement, uh, we're not going out and busting out, you know, arresting folks that gathered more than 10 folks. But we are telling them and reminding them that they pose a public health risk. Uh, and I think in particular, the message strikes home because for my generation, I'm a millennial. Uh, y'all probably heard about the news with the beachgoers on spring break in Miami. Uh, you know, that that really does disservice for folks in my generation. I think, as the mayor has stated, it's really up to all the individuals ourselves independently to make that self-accountability and hold ourselves you know, accountable to, to making sure that we abide by all the public health measures out there. But it's hard, you know, it's, it's an invisible enemy, you know, unless if there's something really right in front of us, sometimes I, I can see why folks will get somewhat lenient, but that's not acceptable. You know, we, we have to always maintain that 
that adherence to those public health measures. Yeah, I do think that's really important um, to to remember. John, you know, this just popped in my head. We have this podcast right now where obviously uh, Mayor Hughes, Councilman Zhang, and yourself are stellar local decision makers. Um, what would you and, and maybe also Councilman Zhang and, and Mayor Hughes, what would you guys recommend that other local decision makers um, need to think about or maybe need to implement um, right away? Like, What would be your takeaway um, if you really could only get one nugget um, to another councilman? Yeah, well, I would circle back to the importance of the private sector in this whole um, uh, incident. Uh, I think it's important. I know that locally we're known for our equestrian sports and our and our whiskey. And our local <laughs> distillery here, Belmont Distillery, our Belmont Distillery uh, has converted their operations into hand sanitizer. Yeah. And uh, so they're producing the first 5,000 uh, today for uh, the hospitals and, and first responders and then the next 7,000 goes out to the general public. So if you have within your community private sector companies that can do some great good in that kind of that regard, seek them out, fight, figure out a way to, uh, to let them help the community and to help uh, be part of the solution. John, you said something that's really great about our country, and it's, it's, we're finding it in every community is, uh, often we, we find is uh, that the private sector is way ahead of the government, which is what you want. And we don't want to be put in a position of having to dictate to anybody. Uh, and, and we've got a, a local uh, brewery that's doing the same thing. So we have folks trying to be innovative, uh, not, not only just, you know, to stay, to stay afloat, but, but to help where they can. And we've seen even restaurants, they've got a different supply chain for food than the grocery stores do. And they've been very open and given in trying to find means and ways for the public to not panic by, but say, look, we're going to put our resources out there and help help out as well. Uh, you mentioned home rule earlier and uh, in conversations with Governor Reeves here uh, about some of the things he's putting out. The governors have, the tool they have is a one size fits all. And what we've been, been talking about from a home rule standpoint is we are much more nimble. Uh, we typically see trends and things develop locally because each state has unique regions and, and, and the one size fits all may be good for a blanket or an umbrella, but because of the uniqueness of our regions and our proximity to other areas, uh, like I talked about before, sometimes we need to be able to act sooner than later. Uh, we don't have the luxury of waiting on an executive order all the time. And so uh, he acknowledged right. that and it has said that the, my, my executive orders are a baseline and feel you need to enact further uh, controls or, or measures to protect the, the, the community. Uh, then you need to go ahead and do that. So uh, we did get that reassurance yesterday, which was helpful from us as far as uh, everything we're trying to juggle. For us, it's mostly about local government. It's the most responsive form of government to the people, right? It, it's, it's the closest form. It's on the ground. Like the mayor said, it hears the trends. It sees the trends before the state government does before the federal government. For us, it's about mobilizing our city government to help the private sector and not getting in the way of it. You know, one of the first things we did was waive our uh, meals taxes and lodging taxes because, like I said before, this, the restaurant, the dining industry and the lodging industries are basically our, our majority uh, components of our local economy. So we wanted to help those businesses pre preserve cash flow so they can pay their workers, preserve the cash flow and whatnot until May 1st. But also finding ways that government could use its resources to help ongoing efforts. We have an incredible GIS technician, and he created a, a um, 
database that showed where all the restaurants that were taking curbside pickup, takeout, or delivery were. So you can go on that website and it'll take you to a map and you can search which restaurants are currently open. Some of them obviously closed up for whatever reason, not compelled by the government or whatnot. But uh, it's really cool to see government resources shift to helping those ongoing efforts. Those are all extremely important things um, to remember. I hope our listeners think deeply about them. And um, if we have any local decision makers listening today, please consider taking a page out of Mayor Hughes and Councilman Zhang's and also Councilman uh, Russell's uh, playbook here uh, to provide some some great solutions for your, for your local constituencies. I'm uh, Dan Reynolds. This has been Alec Across the States. That does bring us to the end of our segment today. I've been sitting down with Mayor Billy Hughes from Gulfport, Mississippi. Thank you for calling in. Glad to be with you. Everybody stay safe and be well. Uh, Dan, if I could mention one thing, uh, people might want to think about it if they want to reach out to others. Uh, you know, we're all familiar with pay it forward. And um, in our lifetimes, we've been very blessed in one respect or another and look for opportunities to do this. Particularly now, we've uh, encouraged a thing called feed it forward. If you find somebody, a neighbor, even a stranger that may be in need uh, of just a simple meal, when you're cooking a meal, make a little extra and let's feed it forward and push it out to folks. I really like that message. That's awesome. Uh, Thank you, Mayor Hughes. Also, thank you, Councilman Zhang, for coming on the line from Williamsburg, Virginia. If you have anything else, a parting message for our listeners, feel free. Well, just uh, Mayor, I think you've hit it straight at home and it's a blessing to to be able to breathe and Eat, stay healthy, and hope that folks take the similar measures to to ensure that everyone else nearby them are are safe and healthy as well. And um, y'all are in our prayers, and we hope that we'll see this to the end, and we're all in this together. God bless everybody. We're gonna get through this. Definitely. And also, thank you to American City County Exchange Director John Russell, who's also a Culpeper Town Councilman in Virginia. Thank you for getting this call together and getting these great group of guys to call into the Alec Across the States podcast. Thank you. And if you are interested in having your idea featured on Alec Across the States, do not hesitate to email acrossthestates at alec.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 